Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 669 for January 31st, 2021. And I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, our guest is Bart Bouchotts with Programming by Stealth, installment 111 of X. Hi, Bart. Yeah. Hi, Allison. I'm wondering, 111, does that mean it's episode nine in binary or does it mean... <laughs> I was never able to count in binary. I always wanted to be able to do that, but I never, never cracked the code of doing it. Yeah, I also think I counted wrong because it should be eight plus four plus no eight. <laughs> ah, okay. I'm so just, you never. Yeah, did I'm just either. gonna ruin Good. my joke. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> it's one plus two is three plus four. Seven, seven, seven. Yes, probably. <laughs> I wonder okay. how many nerds are screaming into their phones right now. I hope all of them. Yeah, because eight is one zero 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 zero, <clears throat> so it must be seven. Okay, anyway. Hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> what are we so, going to do today, Bart? Today, we're going to do one piece of Git, and I'm going to throw in some bonus terminal stuff. Ooh. Because I got fed up of not doing something in the show notes I do in the real world all the time and it was driving me potty. So I figured I'll just teach everyone and then I can start doing it in the show notes. Oh, okay. That sounds fun. So we're going to learn about shell variables and they're going to make the copy-paste dance at the start of the episodes a bit easier because it'll just be this, the same thing every week. Um, but with one small change instead of me having to change the number everywhere and forgetting and getting it wrong and so forth. <laughs> okay. So our one thing today, so I, I teased you last time that uh, lots of the instructions I give have this terrible word before. Uh, before you start work, check you're on the right branch. Before you start working a new feature, create a new branch. Before you merge a change, make sure you have no uncommitted changes and so on and so forth. Before, before, before. You, I and everyone listening are human beings. Unless Alex is listening. Um, and we're terrible at before. We remember things after I should have. Oopsie daisies. Tie your so, shoe before you step forward. Oops. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we all do it, right? We're all human. So it's not a case of if we will forget a before. It's a case of when and how often. And that varies depending on the level of caffeination and uh, the amount of sleep gained the night before. <laughs> but either way, it's going to happen. So the question is, how big of a deal is that? And does Git have our back? And thankfully, Git was written... I sometimes wonder if there were human beings or robots who wrote Git by some of the wording choices and the naming choices and using the word tree for five different meanings and so on and so forth. And as we're about to see, the word push has two meanings as well. So that's that's really going to make things easy for you. Um, nonetheless, Git contains a mechanism specifically for dealing with our human foibles. It allows us to, in a controlled way, not lose our work and yet get our repository in order. Okay, So that sounds so good. So in other words, we start working in the wrong place. We then use the git stash command to temporarily hide away our changes, do whatever we need to do, create a new branch, check out a new branch, whatever it is we have to do that we should have done before, we do that and then we go and fetch it from the stash and we have lost none of our work. Oh, that sounds swell. Exactly. So... Before we get stuck in, let us start our usual little game and uh, 
restore our temporary repository, our example repository from last time. So you'll find the zip file, pbs111.zip, uh, double-click that to expand it, and then open a terminal inside the newly expanded folder. If you're in the right folder, you'll see one.bundle file and three folders. Okay, I'm there. So every week I tell you to do the same thing. Inside there, create a folder named PBS one one PBS something A. Go into that folder, initialize a Git repository, change master to main if needed, and then suck in the bundle. And every week you copy and paste the commands, and over and over again you're typing almost the same thing: mkdir PBS one 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 A CD PBS one 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 A. Then you have a git init, then you have blah, blah, blah. Then you have git fetch update dot dot slash pbs11a.bundle. We're programmers. This is the programming by stealth. Does this smell bad to you? PBS11a, PBS11a, PBS11a. Does that repetition smell bad? Well, especially since I screwed up at least 50% of the time. Either I forget to do it before we get on the call, like I did today, or I do it, but I do it wrong, and I'm in the wrong directory, and all of a sudden my commands aren't matching with my results aren't matching with yours, and so we have to back up and wait for me to catch up. So smell bad, yes. Right. So the shell, although in taming the terminal we haven't quite gotten here yet, and one of the reasons taming the terminal is not finished <clears> is because I I have had this vision for a long time of uniting briefly sort of having a special you know the way when you were a kid your cartoons you could have scooby-doo showing up in another cartoon you have these crossover (laughs) specials yes there is going to be at some stage in the vague future a crossover special between programming by stealth and taming the terminal because the terminal is a programming language so hang on bash there are a non-zero number of people listening who have no idea what Taming the Terminal is. So for a quick interlude here, Bart and I have done a series called Taming the Terminal that we quote-unquote completed, or we should just say put on hiatus for a while while we started programming by stealth. And then we've gone back and done a couple more episodes of Taming the Terminal and we're back into programming by stealth. So it's a a long-running series that uh, has met some sort of slightly complete version right now. And it's very, very, very much the philosophical parent of this podcast. Right, right. In terms of its approach and in terms of how we did it and, you know, in terms of the day-to-day methodology. If you like this show and you want to get comfortable in the terminal, you will like Taming the Terminal because it's the same idea. I teach Alison to do something really visual over a voice-only medium and somehow magically it works. (laughs) Well, it's because there's great show notes. And by the way, have we mentioned there's a book? Uh, It has all been turned into book form by uh, Helma Vanderlinden. Um, But the other thing to to note is that Taming the Terminal is not just for Mac users. It's obviously for for Linux users. And there's a lot of stuff in in, uh, Windows. What is it called now? The... Unix well, subsystem, uh, Linux subsystem for Windows. Allows well, sure. Actually, anything you're now. doing on the Linux subsystem for Windows is almost certainly Bash, which is the same shell you've had on the Mac for most of the time. Although if you have a modern Mac, you're now on ZSH, but ZSH is just like Super Bash. <laughs> but in any case, you can, you can follow the Taming of the Terminal series on yeah. any platform now. Yes, which is wonderful, actually. Thank you, Microsoft. Well done, Satya Nadella. Yet again, continuing to make Microsoft better than Steve Ballmer left it. Right, right. Anyway, so you're going to do a crossover episode. That'll be fun. It'll be a few episodes, actually, because the terminal, Bash, is a full programming language. It has variables. It has conditionals. It has loops. It has functions. It has everything that a programming language has. But we just haven't used it like that on the terminal. We've just entered single commands. Yeah, okay. 
So we will circle back and do a proper programming the terminal. But for today, I'm going to introduce you to one of those concepts. Since this is a taming, since this is a programming series, I think variables are a good thing we can learn on the terminal that is nice and simple um, and very useful. And once you start using variables on the terminal and stop having to duplicate typing over and over again, you're going to just use them all the time, which is what I do in my real world life. And that's why writing these show notes is sometimes very tedious because I have to remember, I have to pretend I don't know shell variables. <laughs> and you're tired of pretending. So just bring us up I'm to tired your skill level and then we all win. Yeah, pretty much. So the syntax <laughs> is shockingly straightforward. Ver variable name equals value. The one subtlety, the terminal is a very primitive programming language. You do not get to choose your spacing. Unlike in JavaScript, where you can cuddle your equal sign if you want, or you can have like 500 spaces between the variable name and the equal sign, no messing about. Var name equals value. They are cuddled together. There is no space. Okay. You do not get to choose. So that's how you create a variable. To use the variable, you simply, anywhere in a terminal command, where you want the value of the variable to appear, you say dollar sign followed by the name of the variable. So uh, as an example, okay. um, I will talk a little bit more in detail, but you have to quote the ver the value if it contains a space and only if it contains a space. So my so the first example in the show notes, we're going to make a variable called my first shell var, and we're going to give it the value boogers and poop because this is our show and that's generally speaking the silly words we use in our examples. And a smiley face because the modern terminal is UTF-8 aware. So my first shell var, no space equals single quote, boogers, space, and space, poop, exclamation point, space, wink, emoji, close the quotation mark, hit enter, and we have now created our first variable. Okay. And we can get the value back by using the echo command because the echo command prints out whatever it received in. So to print out the value of the variable, we say echo space dollar my first shell var, and it will echo back to us the value of my first shell var. Okay. It and works. Hey, presto, we get back the string we had. <laughs> I'm glad we have emoji in it. That's important stuff. It is important. So you have asked me on this very show, and I have told you, I've sort of given you a pause answer. Why do you sometimes use single quotes and sometimes use double quotes? Does it matter? Yeah. And my answer has been, it doesn't matter in any of these examples, but it does matter. <laughs> and the reason it matters is because it changes how shell variables are dealt with. Hmm. So if your string has no variables, there is no difference in a single quote or a double quote. But if your string does contain a variable, then a single quote means... I ignore the fact that this is a variable and I print out the symbol dollar followed by the letters after the dollar symbol. If you use double quotes, the value of the variable gets plopped into the string. Oh, okay. So to prove this to you, the two next commands in the show notes, we have echo single quote, single space quoted space var colon dollar my first shell var, close the quote, and that prints out single space quoted space var 
colon space dollar symbol m y f etc etc it actually prints out exactly what was between those single quotes so let me since i'm looking at it i can tell what you're doing here but it might not be obvious from people listening when he said echo single quote single quoted he just put into what's going to be echoed the word single quoted variable so that we would know when it printed out that this was the single quoted variable it just sounded funny because it was single quote single quote in what you said sorry yeah (laughs) As I was reading it, it sounded fine, but you're right. With my eyes closed, it would sound weird. Yeah. Uh, and, and then we have a, the same command again, but it, it has actual double quotes and the word double. Where, you know, so actual double, echo actual double quote, <laughs> double space quoted space var colon my dollar my first shell var. And then it prints out uh, the actual text of the variable, which in this case is the, the string we put in earlier with our poop and our emoji. Right, right. Okay. So that is the difference between single and double quotes. So basically, if you want, if you want the variable to actually be inserted, then it, the, the echo has to have double quotes around it. Yes, or anywhere you use a string in a terminal command. Okay. I have to think right. about So the echo command is just a really... Yeah, so the echo command is just a dumb command that just echoes whatever you give it, right? That could be uh, git space commit space minus am... And then your string. So it becomes your commit message, right? Okay. It's any terminal command. Okay, because the terminal command is going to be a string. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, the arguments are strings. Gotcha. Exactly. Okay, that's what I was missing. Yeah. Okay. So the other small thing is that a uh, a variable that has no value yet is just emptiness. So if you echo out the variable $snot, which we have not defined, it will just give you an empty line. Okay. It's just, nope, there's nothing there. So if you use an empty variable in a terminal command, it's as if you didn't type anything. It's it's as if you just didn't type. Okay. Uh, and then the last thing is that term- shell variables exist within this specific shell you are currently in and only this specific shell. So if you do a command N now and open up a new terminal and type echo dollar my first shell var... Not blank. It has no idea about the smiley, etc. You're so right. It only exists in that one specific shell. Okay. And now if in this new window you create a new my first shell var and give it the value new value, then if you go back to your original terminal, you'll see that it still has the old value in the original terminal. So oh, okay. So that you could use the same variable name in two different shells and they would could both evaluate to something different. Yes, exactly. So in our program, with our programming hats on, the scope of a shell variable is the current shell. Okay. Just like the scope of a variable is the function it's declared in in JavaScript. Okay. So that's kind of all there is to it. So now that we know about shell variables, let's simplify our uh, initialization commands a bit. I'm going to use a variable called repo, then I'm going to give the value pbs11a or 111a. Okay. So then we can simply copy and paste mkdir dollar pbs repo semicolon cd dollar repo. Um, and the other small thing I'm doing here is the semicolon can be used to have two commands on the one line. Oh, okay. So in this case, we make a directory and change straight into it. But instead of having to type out the name of the directory correctly twice, we're just using dollar repo now. So bing, bing. Then we have git init semicolon, that big long statement for doing the whole master to main thing. So just a copy paste job. 
Then we have our git fetch, and again, we can use $repo to represent PBS111A even inside a longer expansion. So oh. it says dot dot slash $repo.bundle. Perfectly oh, okay. fine to do that. Terminal's like, yeah, I know what to do there. Because it's and just it shoving uses, a string in there. It's just shoving the value of $repo in there, exactly. So that literally just becomes PBS111A.bundle. Okay. So for those of us playing along, this is not necessarily any easier for us because we are just copying and pasting out of your show notes. Like, I, I got to tell you, I'm not typing square bracket space backtick git space symbolic dash Good. ref. Good. Right? So it's not actually any easier for us, but it it uh, creates far fewer errors for you. You can have this. All you have to do is change repo equals. Yes. And from next time on, it is going to be easier for you because you're going to find that uh, next time, I'm not going to be so explicit about this, next time there's going to be a new file sitting there in the zip file called repo.sh, And I'm just going to say, set the value of the variable and then run this script. Oh, okay. So it's going to put, you're going to put all these commands into the script for us. Exactly. Uh-huh. And then it will be much easier for you too. But I wanted to do it explicitly today yeah, so yeah. that we can... You know, otherwise it's a bit like, wait, whoa, Bart, you've just done black magic. Back up a minute there. <laughs> so no black magic. This is how it's really going to work. But next time I'm going to make it even easier for you. I like this. Excellent. Okay, so let's go back to our, we're going to forget it before, right? <laughs> so the first thing I want to say is sometimes when you forget it before, Git solves the problem for you by simply being forgiving. If you forget your before and you don't leave it too long, there are many times where Git will just let you away with it. It's like, yeah, okay, I can help you out here. No need to make you jump through hoops. I can just do the right thing. And the most common example of that is that you start working on a new feature, but you're still on the main branch. If you haven't staged anything or you haven't committed anything, you can just change branch to where you should have been and Git will just say, oh, yeah, that's fine. I'll bring those changes with me. Oh, okay. Okay, so as long as we don't commit or, or stage anything, we've just typed a bunch of code, we can then, yes, we can then we change, can change our goes, mind. Oh, okay. I got you. Exactly. So let's do that. <clears throat> so we're going to start on a new feature, and we are on the main branch, if you've been copying and pasting from the examples. So we're on the main branch, and we're going to start a new thing in the readme.md file, that's going to be some links to you and me. Um, so you can type in the changes yourself or you can go to the folder pbs one a 2 and copy and paste the readme.md into your working tree. Okay, hold on. Hold on. Hold your horses. Close that finder window so now i got to go buy it back and find it. So where are we going? We're going into the... Okay, a nice tip, because I do this all the time to get into your working tree, open space dot. I don't know what that's going to do for me. Ah, watch. Yeah? Be surprised. Ah, oh, okay, so it, it opened it up in the finder. Look at that. It opened it in the finder in the right folder. I do that oh so often. <laughs> okay, so what am I supposed to do when I get here? So now I'm in PBS111A in the finder. So now what you can also do then is open space dot dot to open the parent folder where you'll find... The PBS triple one A dash two folder. Ah, so okay. then just copy the README from one to the other. Ah, gotcha. Ooh, that is easy. Replace. Okay. Okay, so now you've just pretend done my typing. Okay, so I did some changes in the README. 
Yeah, and you're still on the main branch. Whoopsie daisy. But wait, so Bart, if you do I forgot get... to change out of the main branch into a new branch. Ah! Okay, so a git status will show you on branch main, and it shows you you have a modified file, readme.md. I do. No problem whatsoever. We just make a new branch and jump to it. So remember that we can create and change branches in one go by saying git checkout minus b. So we could do git branch create and then git checkout, but we can do it in one go by saying git checkout minus b. So just make a new branch. git space checkout space minus b space feet underscore about authors. Because it's a feature about the authors. Okay. And it tells us, oh, by the by, I've taken this modification with me, mreadme.md, and I've switched to the new branch, just like you asked. And that means it's not left over on the main branch right now. It's actually Correct. taking it with us and, and taking it away from the main branch. Correct, because it wasn't really on the main branch. It was just in your working tree. Yeah, oh, right, right. You hadn't staged it yet, because if you had staged it, Git would have gone, no, you have staged stuff. I cannot change branch right now. Finish what you're doing or take other, other mean, measures. I'm, 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 I'm in some sort of limbo here. I cannot be in this limbo. Um, so it has switched the branch for us. Great. So if we do a git status, we now see that we're on branch feet underscore by daughters with our one modified file. Perfect. That's exactly where we wanted to be. Yeah. So we just say git space commit space minus am feet colon added and about the author section to the readme. Okay. Boom. Okay. So to review what we just did, just to make sure I cemented here, what we did was we switched to a new branch and created that new branch in one command. And that brought our changes bing, bing. with us. Yes. And now we are again doing one of those shortcut commands. So git commit minus am is a shortcut for git add followed by git commit. So we're staging, we're stage committing. So git minus git commit minus am is basically staging commit. Right. Why is that not jumping out at me is that that's what that is the the dash a means stage everything and the m means add a message where does it say yes, commit uh, it just to the left of the dash a ah <laughs> <laughs> i'm really focused in on that dash a i'm completely missing the git commit part okay gotcha so we said commit it we want to stage everything and we've added the message feet colon added about the author section okay yeah so what that command really does is it says, you're actually calling git commit when there's nothing staged, but the minus a flag says, yeah, I know there's nothing in staging yet. Just take all the changes and stage them and then do your commit. Right. So at this point in time, we've, we've done some work. If you open up the readme file, we've done a very basic about the authors section. It's, it's just got two links in it. It's not particularly good. So really, we probably should do better. So we're not going to finish our feature. We've made a start. We're halfway through. But at this point, urgent work interrupts us. Da -da 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 -da. We must do a bug fix. Okay. Indeed. Now, it's not the world's silliest. It's not the world's most important bug fix, but we have to pretend it is because that's the whole point of this example. Right? Okay. It's utterly trivial, but we pretend it's important. So... Before we start work on our fix, we should create a new bug fix branch. Yes. And that branch should not branch off from halfway through a feature branch. That branch should branch off from main. So we should switch to main, create the, the bug branch, and start fixing the bug. Correct. But we're human, so we're the not change going we just... <laughs> Bing, bing, bing. So in this case, the bug in question is that last time we added jQuery, popper.js, and moment.js into the HTML file, 
And there's a paragraph in the markdown file that lists the licenses, and it doesn't mention jQuery, Popper, or Moment. So we're being naughty people and not giving proper credit to the open source community, and that is such a crime that it must be resolved imminently, Mm -hmm. urgently, immediately. So without doing anything we should do, we just start editing the file. So uh, to pretend to edit, if you grab the copy from PBS111A-3 and drop it onto your working tree, then you've just done my typing. Okay. All right. And if you open the file up in, you know, in preview or whatever, then, or sorry, by hitting the space bar to preview it or whatever, you'll see we've just added some more text to that paragraph that includes the extra libraries. So nothing earth shattering. This but, is in the index.html or the readme? The readme. Oh, okay. Readme.md. Ah, got you. Okay. So if we do a git status, it tells us on branch feet underscore about authors with a modified readme.md. Oh! This is exactly what we should not have done. Whoopsie daisies. No problemo. We can stash our change. So why can't so, we just do the same thing, create a new branch? Oh, because we're on this branch. We're not we're on, on this branch. We're so not on mains. Yeah. And if we go over to main, we don't have these changes. Right. So if we say git, git space checkout minus B mm-hmm. and make a new branch, we make it Off here. of the feature. Okay. Off the feature. Okay. But we don't want to make it here. We really, really should have started our work on the other copy of the file. So we want to shove this mess under the rug. Get the guess in and out, and then put pull it back out. Right. And that's what a stash is for. So you think of a stash as a temporary place for uncommitted files. So it really is what it sounds like, right? You just stash them temporarily. Mm-hmm. So when you find that you have changes that you need to keep safe while you change branches, yada, 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 you stash them. And then when you've done all your juggling about and you're right where you should have been when you should have started work, you unstash them and then you have your changes back. And then you can carry on from there. Okay. So the command to make a stash, which is going to take everything that you have that's that's unstaged, so all of your unstaged changes, is git space stash space push, which pushes it into the stash. All right. And when you're ready to get them back, it's git space stash space pop. Okay. That pulls them out of the stash back into your working tree, which is now somewhere else. Now, if you're a computer scientist, you may recognize those two keywords. Oh, can, can I say it? It, it reminds can. me of FTP, push and pop. Wasn't that from FTP originally? Uh, put and get, I think, is the FTP. Where's ones. push? Oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> oh, it, it was that dopey feature ha- that Apple put onto the iPhone for a while. There was a peak and pop. That's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> yes, which is a different. I actually really quite like that, but yeah, can't have that anymore because we don't have 3D touch anymore. Right. Anyway, um, or true 3D touch. We have pretend 3D touch now through haptic feedback. Anyway. Uh, what it actually is are the keywords used to describe the com- the computer science data structure known as a stack. And a stack you can think of as a pile of plates in a kitchen. The last plate you put on the pile will be the first plate you take off the pile. Right. So that is what defines a stack. It's a last in, first out data structure or a LIFO. And if you want to learn more about LIFO, there's a whole big link to Wikipedia all about stacks. The point is, Git actually allows multiple stashes. 
and the thing you stashed most recently will be what you get back. Oh, so if yeah, you're interrupted, you don't name it or anything. It's just get stash push. Shove it on the stack. Exactly. So if you're interrupted doing something, you stash it. And then you start dealing with your interruption. But what if you're interrupted in your interruption? <laughs> well, then you stash that and then deal with something new. Wow. And as long as you reverse the process to come back out. So first you finish the second interruption and then you finish the first interruption. <laughs> then everything will work because it's last in, first out. Okay. So the last thing you push will be the first thing you pop. Okay. And Git actually names its stashes based on where they are in the stack. So the first, the stash, the, this is hard to say, the stash you are going to get back when you pop will always be called stash at zero. The stash below that is stash at one. And the one below that will be stash at two. I so you're just describing where they are. Squirrely brackets around the numbers. So it's stash Correct. at squirrely bracket zero. Yes, so it's S-T-A-S-H, at symbol, open curly, the number, close curly. Okay, so zero is the latest one, one time. We're used to counting from zero, so that's good. Exactly. So let us use a stash to solve the problem we've just got ourselves into. So our workflow is going to be quite straightforward. We're going to stash the changes we've just made in the wrong place. We're going to check out main. We're going to create a new fix branch that diverges from main like we should have in the first place. Then we're going to unstash our changes onto this new branch. We're going to commit them on the new branch. And then everything is as it should have been all along. Okay. So step one, git space stash space push. Floop. Okay. So if you do a git status now, it will say on branch feet underscore about authors, nothing to commit working tree clean. Oh. Oh, that proves you did it right. That proves, that half proves we did it. That proves we got it out of our way, but have we lost it? Yeah, not yet. <laughs> right. So how do we prove to ourselves we haven't lost it? Well, now if we do a git space stash space list, it will show us how many stashes we have. Even though we're, so we're still in feet underscore about authors? Yeah, it doesn't matter where we are. The git stash list will always show the stashes that exist. Because the stashes just exist. Okay. They're not in a particular branch. They're, they're, they're in a parallel universe, right? That's the whole point of a stash. <clears throat> they're adjacent to the normal Git hierarchy. Okay. They're, they're okay. a place so for us to put something not in, out of the way. So since they're not anywhere, everywhere knows about them. Correct. Okay. Exactly. That's, that's why they're powerful, right? Because we're going to move about and then get them back. Right. Okay. So Git stash list, it will always give the position of the stash. So stash at zero, colon. And then it will it put the words WIP there to tell you there's a work in progress I've stashed for you on, and it will then say the name of the branch that it came from. So where was I when I stashed this? And it will also tell you on that branch what commit you're at when you stashed it. And it will give you the hash of the commit you're at and the description of the commit you're at. Okay, so the description so, that we put in the commit. Wait, we didn't do a commit message. Well, there's always a most recent commit, right? Okay, so whatever the commit was, when we did that work in progress, that'll be the commit message. Correct. Okay. So basically, it's a, it's a good detailed description of where we were at the point we said git space push, git space stash space push. Okay, all right. Which helps us, it's a good mnemonic for what changes these are. 
And if you imagine if you had multiple stashes, it would be quite useful to know, oh, I was interrupted in the middle of this, or I was interrupted in the middle of that. And if you name your branches well, that's actually extremely useful information. Okay. If you name your branches well, which is why we did a whole episode on conventions. Mm -hmm. We can also see what's in there by saying git space stash space show, and it will show us what's in stash zero. So what it tells us is what's in there is one changed file, which has uh, one insertion and one deletion. So git space stash space show, which is hard, git stash show will show us what's in stash zero. Correct. What if I wanted so that's to see basically what was in if stash one. Uh, you could give, you could say git stash show space stash at open squarely one close squarely. Okay. Uh, but if you don't tell it anything, it will show you what are you about to pop, which is usually what you want. And as I actually, I'm not sure I, I wrote it in the show notes. I'm not sure I said it out loud. In all of my years of using Git, I stash a lot. I have never stashed two things at once. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, but you can. And there we go. So the Git GUI will generally also show you the stash, but how it does it is entirely up to it. A Git Kraken will show it to you by having a dotted line from the place you were when you made the stash to a little icon that looks like a, like an inbox in your email for reasons I can't explain. Okay. That's, that's just its choice, and it will then show you stash at zero, and if you click on it, it will give you the details basically showing you what files have changed. Hmm. Okay. So there we go, we have our stash. So we've now proven to ourselves that our working tree is clean, so we're free to move around our repository and our changes are safe. They're in the stash. So now let's go and actually get do the things we should have done before. So git checkout main, git checkout space minus b space fix underscore missing licenses. So we're making a new branch and jumping onto it. All right. So now we're where we should have been. So now let's pull our changes off the stash. So git space stash space pop. And it will now try to merge our changes into the branch. Now, I have engineered this so that we get a merge conflict. Uh, that's the worst case scenario. Oh, wait, no, we learned yep. to not be afraid of, of conflicts last time. I forgot. Bing, bing, bing. So I'm, I'm doubling down on that message today. So because we started in the wrong place, our starting point was actually the wrong. F the file had more changes in it. So Git needs our help to say, which bit of what you did over there do you want me to bring over here? Okay. So basically, what, what we have in this co conflicted file is both the about the authors section and the corrected licenses. So we just need to keep only the corrected licenses. So in other words, we right. copy everything inside the delimiters and replace it with just the nice paragraph about the licenses. So in the show notes, you can see. Wait, how do we get to that again? How do we get it to show us the delimiters? The, edit the file in your favorite text editor. Oh, that's right. Okay, so we, have to get, we need to actually go look at it. All right, I'm going to open you in something obvious to me. Okay. And then we just get rid of the stuff we don't care about. Right, so the delimiters and the stuff we don't care about get replaced with what we want to keep. Yeah, I should be remembering this. So I've got updated That's why updated upstream with the, the uh, less than symbols, and then at the end of a big chunk it says stash changes. 
But, right. but I don't so remember which So those are the two start and end delimiters. And between those two is a line of all equalses. That's where everything from upstream is up to the equals, which is basically what's on this branch at the moment, which is just the short paragraph. Okay. And then everything after the equals is what came from the stash, which is the long paragraph and the about the authors. So I know we don't want the about the authors, so I'm going to delete that. Yeah, right. We also don't want the crappy short paragraph we've just replaced with this wonderful piece of prose. Ah, okay. I'm and I don't want it. the equals. And you don't and want don't the equals, want the and you don't want the delimiters. Delimiters. Okay. I got you. All right. I'm gonna save. I hit that. save. All right. Now you're ready to tell Git that you're finished editing by saying Git space add space readme.md. So I want to and add it now instead of stashing it or popping it. Right. Right. We already, we're halfway through the pop, right? The pop has begun, but we have a merge conflict. Okay. So we're finishing the pop. Okay. So the last half of the pop would have been, it would have added it automatically, but, but since it had the conflict, that's why we have to manually add it. Correct. Okay. If there were no conflict, the pop would have just completed. It just would have come in, but we're editing the same file on both branches. So Help. Okay. Okay. So now we finish the pop by doing the add, but we still have to commit it before we're, we forget and another bug report comes in. Correct. So git space commit space minus m fix updated licensing paragraph in readme. Okay. Hit enter. Now, had there been no conflict, popping the stash would have deleted the stash. Ah. But be but because there was a conflict, Git was like, let's err on the side of caution. If they mess up the conflict resolution and do a minus minus abort, then I really shouldn't have deleted that yet because then they've lost their work. So Git has very cleverly retained the stash because we had a conflict. Oh, Okay. So if we do a git stash list, we'll see that stash zero is still there. But we were, we were good people. We successfully did our merge. So we can get rid of the stash by telling git to drop it, literally. Git space stash space drop. And if you forget to do that, it just becomes stash It's just one. hanging around there. Yeah, it's just, it's messy. just some noise. Yeah. It's sort of like when you put a export a photo from your photos library that you really love and you put it on your desktop and then you go load it up to Flickr or something and then you leave it leave there it. and you forget whether you actually did anything with it and then you're always afraid to delete it. Yes, and because it's a LIFO data structure, leaving it there won't break anything because the next time you push, right. your newest push is sitting at the top of the queue, at the top of the stack. So when you pop, you're still going to get back your newest change. So you're not going to do yourself any harm. You're just leaving some detritus. Yeah. But I hate don't stuff need like to. that. You, I hate you, stuff laying around where you go back and go, what was that? Do I need that? Correct. Did I forget correct. that? So, so git stash drop. We'll clean up after ourselves. So now when we do, so we do git space stash space drop, and then we do a git stash list, and then the stashes are all gone. There we go. Okay. Now... At this stage, we've sort of finished the majority of our work, to be honest. So at this stage, we're going to finish our example for completeness and to help us remember our branching and so forth. So this, from this point on, there's nothing new. We're just continuing our workflow to consolidate our knowledge. So we've done a fix, and it's sitting in a fix branch. So 
we're going to need to do two things. We're going to need to merge that fixed branch back into main and we should give a new version number. So before we start that work, let's figure out what version number it will be when we finish our work. So to see all of the tags that currently exist, we say git space tag and it will list all the tags. Mm -hmm. And we can see that our most recent version number is 2.5.1. And we as a a group, whatever, have decided we, I, the royal we has decided King Bart of PBS has decided that we shall use the Semver rules which we described in installment 109 and Semver says that if it's a fix, you increment the third number. The third digit, so that means yeah. 251 becomes 252. Okay. So those are so tags. That is the tag we will add when we're finished merging into main. Okay. So in order to merge into main, we have to go to main. So the first thing we have to do is git checkout main. Okay. Then we pull in the fix we've just done. So we say git space merge space fix missing licenses. Then because we're good people who don't like detritus, we're going to clean up the fix branch by getting rid of it. So git space branch space minus D fix underscore missing licenses. And now we're going to make a new tag with our new version number, just to mark that this is version 252. So git space tag space v2.5.2. There we go. So we've now dealt with our fix completely. So uh -oh. we should probably what, go what back to... What happens if you screw up the tag and you accidentally write uh, v2.5.s? Then you say git space tag space... Minus D, I think, to delete a tag uh, or tag delete. It might be just git tag delete. Um, I think it works. The, the first one, git tag minus D. Nope, it's still there. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember off the top of my head, but a uh, quick man git tag should tell us. Okay. Man git dash tag. And da -da -da -da. Super prefix name value exec path. Can't be done. Minus, minus, delete, or minus D. What do you mean, minus D? As in git space tag space minus D space the name you typoed. Minus D. Okay. V2.5.s. All right. Deleted tag. Okay. Git tag V2.5.2. Okay. The rest of you guys that didn't screw that up, you're going to need that later, so... <laughs> Exactly, and it's a good example, again, to remember right back to the very first installment, there's a man page for every git subcommand at git minus sign and then the name of the subcommand. So the man page for git tag is man space git minus tag. Oh, that's how you found it. Okay, I did man git and just yeah, got so a Yeah, so man git will tell you about the git command and it will tell you there are subcommands and it will tell you there is such a thing as git tag but it won't describe git tag because there's also git commit, git merge, you know, there's all of these git subcommands. So, I just, so to get the document... I just did man git minus tag and I get... No? no? It's, did you put a space between the git and the minus tag? I did. Then you didn't do... So it's one argument, right? Man space git minus tag. It is the man page git minus tag. So there's a command git minus tag? No, okay, so man <laughs> takes one argument, the name of the manual you want to read. Ah, okay, and it's named git minus tag. There we go. How would I know that? Hmm. Because we did it in installment 
Bart, make up a number now. (laughs) (laughs) If you had said the real number, I would have punched you. Uh, I would have been impressed with me. I guess I could have said any number and you would have believed me. I totally (laughs) would have. Okay, so this says git tag minus d tag name, but it doesn't tell me what those are. See, I, this, I never look at manuals, the man pages, and get any information out of them. Create list, delete, or verify. So it says synopsis, get tag minus D tag name, but it doesn't tell me that that deletes the right, tag. But scroll down, scroll down, because then there's a description of each of those. So it tells you there is a minus D at the top. The synopsis just tells you all the things that exist. And if you scroll down, there'll be a description for each one. So oh. you'll see there's a description further down the page for what minus D actually does. Okay. And it says that yeah. minus D and minus minus delete are synonyms for deleting a tag. Minus, where do you see minus minus delete? I don't see that. So if scroll you scroll down, down uh, I see so minus see D. If it's, so under options, you see yeah. a section that's headed options, and then you have all the options one after the other alphabetically. So it says minus D comma minus minus delete. It says delete existing tags with the given names. So that terminology, minus D comma minus minus delete, means either one of these commands? These are both options? Correct. What they're saying is, and that's quite normal in terminal commands, that you have the short version Uh and the long explicit version. And so if you're writing a script, I would say always use the long version because the script is basically source code. And you're going to look at it again a year from now and go, what is minus D? But if you look at an old script and it says minus minus delete, then you you're going to know what it means without looking at the man page. Okay. But if you're in a hurry and you're typing on the terminal, I'll use the short ones on the terminal, but I'll use the long ones in shell scripts. Okay. All right. Well, I learned something about it. One of my goals is that someday I will look something up in a man page and know what to do. <clears throat> well, let me know when that happens. I have That'll opened one of those at Bart least does a happy dance. 500 man pages so far, and I have never once gone, oh, there's what I do. I'll get there. We'll keep at it. <laughs> okay. We'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, okay, so where were we in our story? We have just finished dealing with our fix. Yes. Great. So now let's go back to what we were actually doing when we interrupted ourselves with this mad urgent fix that we did wrong, mm-hmm. but then fixed. So let's go back to where we were. Git space checkout space feet space feet underscore about authors. So we're back to where we had left off. We need to fix that, uh, finish our work on that uh, about the author section. Oh, that's right. That's still hanging out there, isn't it? It's still hanging out there on a separate branch. So uh, you will now find in the zip file one final folder, pbs111a-4, that contains one last copy of readme.md that has the full crafted final immaculate version of the About the Authors section. Okay. Actually, I quite like you to read it because I tried to write you a nice compliment. Aww. Well, I will definitely I hope I read did. it then. Uh-oh. This could backfire horribly live on air, but I think I tried <laughs> to write you a nice compliment. I can't believe you said that about me, Bart. Uh, let's see. What does it say? And it's going to open it up. Let's see. This dummy project for use as an example in installments 104 through 111. Project contains into single HTML5 pages about the authors. Bart writes the blog posts and Bart and Allison record the matching podcast episodes. Was there supposed to be more than that? Yeah, there is in the version 401. Okay, hang on. I made a, a boo-boo when I, um, when I copied and I bet I deleted the wrong one. Yeah, because that's the way it was before we finished our work. Allison is a retired IT manager with a deep-felt love of all things tech, albeit with an ever-so-slight Apple bias and an insatiable appetite for learning. I do like that. That's very nice. Yay! 
Excellent. So there we go. There's our finished masterpiece of an About the Authors section. So uh, we should now um, commit that onto our feature branch. So git commit minus am feet added about the author section to readme. Dum da dum da dum commits just fine. Great. Now we should merge that into main because we're finished. Let me guess. We have to switch back to main to do it. Correct. Git checkout main. Switch to branch main. And then we merge in our feature. Git space merge space feet about the authors minus m added blah blah blah. Oh look, conflict number the second, because I really do want you to get used to these and not fear them. Okay. Because of course we conflict, because we just we did a fix on the same file, so we've we've run into the same conflict we ran into last time, but from the other end. Right now we're so working the second half. Yeah, exactly. So if we open up uh, the file now in our favorite editor, you will see that the bit coming from the current branch, which is labeled you know arrow 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 head, is only the nice detailed paragraph. And the bit coming into us from the feature branch is the old terrible paragraph and the new about the author section. So in order to get what we want, we need to keep the shiny paragraph and the about the author section. So the only thing we want to lose is the delimiters and the not so nice paragraph about the licenses. Oh, okay. Okay, hang on. Okay, I got it. I got it. Okay, so we'll get rid of the little paragraph about the licenses because we have the nice new paragraph. Get rid of the equals while we're there. Get rid of the delimiter about the head at the top and a feet about authors down at the bottom. Perfect. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. And then we hit save. Yep. And then we have our final version. Wait, but we still have to... We have to commit. We have to finish the merge. Which I'm going, instead of doing it as two steps, I'm getting lazier. So we could say git space add space uh, readme.md git commit minus m, blah, blah, blah. We're going to do it all in one go, git commit minus am. Ah. Got so you. just feet added about the author section. So now we're safely merged into main so we can delete the branch. Git branch minus d feet about authors. And we get to practice our semver one more time because we've now added a feature. So the rules of semver say that if you add a feature, you increment, and if you add a non-breaking feature, you increment the second number and put the third number to zero. So 252 becomes 260. All right. And this time I'm going to type it correctly so we don't have to go fix it. But I know hey, how now so if get, I screw it up. In, which is important because we're humans and see previous statements. I do like that repetition, Bart. More repetition is good. I could hear your voice in my head as as I was writing these show notes because I was like, <laughs> "We could stop here." It's like, "No, we won't." Let us let us continue to practice our, our getting. So we've now tagged our version. We've deleted our branches. We have now perfectly executed a fix and a feature. And at no point is there any evidence in this repository that we forgot to do the right thing twice. <laughs> So we, the first time, Git just let us away with it. And the second time, we used the stash to get away with it. But either way, the end result is not a hackery. There's no messed up branches. There's no weird things in the repository. The repository is perfect, as if we were perfect human beings who never made mistakes. <laughs> it's good to hide it from everybody, right? Exactly. So we are now 
very, we have now made a lot of progress on our Git journey. So we're using the staging area to transition our changes into commits. So we have basically a, a collection of meaningfully labeled commits. They're organized into sensible branches. We have a workflow for deciding when to branch and how to name our branches. We have rules for naming our versions. We have rules for writing descriptions of our commits. So really our repositories are well-organized, sensible, capturing the versions of what we're doing in a sane way. And with Git stashes, we've learned how to deal with our inevitable whoopsies, which will happen. So we've pretty much mastered Gitting alone. But Git isn't about Gitting alone, right? On our very, very first installment, we spent a whole bunch of time describing the two possible worldviews, where you have a client-server model where you check out from a master server, make your changes, and then push them back up to the server. Or we have this sort of anarchy in the dictionary definition sense of the world where everyone has a full copy that's equal. Well, so far, everyone has been us, mm -hmm. and there has been a full copy. So clearly, we have been living in a simplified island universe. But in the real world, when you're using Git to collaborate, you don't live in an island universe. You live in a universe of connected islands. So everyone has a copy of everything. And then there are connections between those copies to allow change to flow. So you can almost think of it like a collection of islands with ferry routes between them. <laughs> the ferry only runs when you push and stuff, yeah, which we're going to start learning about. Yes, so they're, only, they're um, ad hoc ferries. Yeah, unscheduled. Um, uh, unscheduled. What's charter? <laughs> they're, yes, they're, or charter airlines, whatever you want to look at it. Um, so where we need to start next time is to look at this concept of a connection between two repositories. So you actually tell Git that there is another repository that has a relationship to this one. And Git uses the keyword remote to describe these relationships. So when you add a remote to a repository, what you're actually doing is adding a relationship. You're telling Git there's a repository over there, and how we define over there is a whole topic, but for now, let's just say you're telling Git there's a repository over there, and the branch named Boopity Boo over there is the same as the branch named Blippity Blop over here. 99.9% .9 of the time, you'll keep the name the same for your own sanity. <laughs> but you are free to have very different naming conventions for the remote and the local. And that has its uses. It can deal with the fact that you're collaborating with someone with a very different worldview to you. Or it can sometimes be used um, if you're using Git to manage things. So we have a vendor I work with a lot in work. And they have remote branches called staging and production. And every time I push to one of those remote branches, they deploy the code to the staging server or the production server. But they have a whole big naming scheme that prefixes our customer number and a whole bunch of stuff. And so the branch name on their end is like 40 characters long, ending in underscore staging. And the branch name on my end just says staging. <laughs> So you get your, so, keep your sanity while working with a team. 
Precisely. So anyway, we're going to basically we're going to switch over to this model of having multiple Git repositories in communication with each other. And we're going to dip our toe in that water by not yet dealing with other human beings. Let's just make our lives easier by allowing us to use a second repository, firstly, as a backup, right? Mm. I'm using version control here. I clearly care that this is preserved. Right now, all of our versioning is on one place. Well, you know, the golden rule from Security Bits is if it only exists in one place, it doesn't exist at all. You need to have a remote copy, and the remote copy should contain the entire version history. It shouldn't only be what you did yesterday, right? You should Everything should be backed up. So it should be a true so we need to use version, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. So the first thing we're going to learn to do is to use remote repositories as backups. Ah, okay. The other thing you're going to want to do is we are the kind of nerds who have more than one computer. <laughs> and you should be able to continue your work from anywhere. So another good reason to have remotes, even with only one human being, is so that you can work from your iMac and your laptop. Mm, right, right, right. So you have a full copy in both places and you can shove your changes over and back. And so we're going to start with those two use cases first, to dip our toe in this concept of related repositories. And then when we're comfortable shoving data around between repositories where we're the only people doing the shoving, then we'll add the extra complication of other human beings pushing things about. Uh-oh. <laughs> because when other human beings get involved, the probability of merge conflicts increases because the simple fact is you and they can edit the same thing at the same time. Well, that's got to be resolved. Well, that'll be interesting to see how you do that, whether we're going to have to have programming buddies. <laughs> well, you don't need to, because at the end of the day, when it comes to resolving a merge conflict, you end up in exactly the same stuff we just did twice today. You have your delimiters, the two versions, no, no. and you, the human no, being. No, what I mean is, is in order to have other human beings oh. involved, uh, Allison has to have someone else to be playing with. That is true. So at that point, I think you and I may... I haven't quite decided how we're going to do that. We'll probably use GitHub accounts because they're free. Sure. But we have um, to have other people willing... The people listening, if they're alone listening and have never collaborated with anybody else who's listening to Programming by Stealth, they're going to need a buddy to play with. Or two identities, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's a way to do it. Yeah, they could log in to GitHub on two different accounts. Okay. Yeah, you could do it that way. Uh, but anyway, so that's that's where we're going. So we have basically mastered the Git fundamentals when we're working alone, which I think was important to do while we're working alone on a single repository so that we're not getting confused. Yeah. But the reality but is now we, we understand broader than that. Yeah. Yeah. So now we understand what a commit is, what a branch is, what a tag is. We know how to merge branches. We know how to create branches. We know how we should be naming things for our own sanity. So we really have mastered the Git fundamentals of working alone. And so now it's time to realize the universe is bigger. So I want to give you learn. positive reinforcement for the path that you took in teaching us. Um, as the audience may have figured out, I know how to use Git through a GUI, but I didn't know how to do any of the command line stuff that Bart's been teaching us. So this has all been new to me. But this uh, last week, I'm still working on my clock from our JavaScript uh, programming, just because I love my clock. I, and I, I hadn't worked on it in a while because I was stuck on this one part. And I realized that Dorothy had done some stuff in her clock that I wanted to steal her idea. So I asked her <laughs> for a copy of her code because I knew she didn't have it up in, in GitHub or any place like that. So she put it in a Dropbox uh, folder that we share. Okay, great. And then I thought, 
well, wait a minute. The chances are the way I learn how things work is I, I, I poke things, right? I change variables. I say, well, what's this thing do? Well, let me change what it does, and then maybe I'll understand what it's for. And so I realized I was going to break this thing that she'd given me. I thought, okay, well, I can make a copy of it before I do that. And then I thought, wait a minute. Why don't I put it in a folder? Why don't I initialize that as a Git repository? Why don't I change master domain? And then now when I mess with it, I can always get back to where I started. Perfect. And, and that's exactly what Git is for. None of my that's instincts were to open the GUI either. I, I'm not even sure but, I wow. know how to initialize a repository using the GUI. I know how to do it in the, in the terminal. So I, that's where I did it. And it made me so happy that oh. I realized that I could do this. That that makes me so happy that you <laughs> that a that you did it and b that it made you happy. That, that's and like I thought a, of a it. Double barrel. It, it was an instinct. It was yeah, like, triple barrel. That's the solution to the problem. Obviously, I have that in my tool belt now. So that that made me happy. I really enjoyed that. I still haven't fixed Excellent. my clock, but <laughs> Excellent. Well, okay, the clock is the clock is next. <laughs> yeah, cool. Okay. Um well that is that is all we that is all she wrote or all I wrote uh, for this one. Um but as I say, I think I've I think I've given us a fairly big tease for where we're going in the next yeah. part, in the next few installments of this series. So hopefully people are following along and people are looking forward to learning about Git remotes. I am. Excellent. Well, until then, whenever it is, happy computing. If you learn as much from Bart each week as I do, I'd like you to go over to lets-talk.ie and press one of the buttons over there to help support him. He does 98% of the work here. I'm just the stooge that listens to him and asks the dumb questions. If you go over to lets-talk.ie, you can support him on Patreon, you can donate via PayPal, or you can use one of his referral links. I really hope you'll go over and help him out. In the meantime, you can contact me at Podfeet or check out all of the shows we do over there over at podfeet.com. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.